1: It's an issue in every family's budget. What is the right way to make a major purchase? On today's Get Ready for the Future show, we're sharing financial wisdom on how to keep that big ticket item from making a big dent in your retirement.
0: This is the Get Ready for the Future show.
1: And welcome in to the Get Ready for the Future show. We are live across Facebook and YouTube, and uh, with me today is Janet Walker, co-founder of Wealth Financial Advisors. Uh, by the way, Scott Inman is taking a little bit of time off for mm-hmm. some personal business. Teresa Arago from our new Conway office. Yes, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> last time you were on this show, you were a little bit choppy. I see yeah. that you're full-blown today. I hope it will go a little
2: <laughs> smoother today than the last time I was on. Yeah, choppy okay. because of Skype. Yes, yeah, that's yes, it, technology. Yes,
1: yeah. And Troy Johnson in the, in the fourth chair today. Yep. Good to to see you sir good to see you all right we're back on the get ready for the future show live to impart some financial wisdom as i said in the opening about Big Ticket Items, How to Make a Major Purchase. I think it's something, guys, that every family deals with. Every family goes, oh wow, we're going to spend a chunk of money here. Mm-hmm. What is this going to do to us as we work toward our financial goals? And that's something, Janet, that we've worked with people for a long time on getting clarity on.
3: You're absolutely right, John. And this this whole topic, it makes me think about a, a country song and the dad is kind of talking <laughs> to the daughter and it's, it's, baby, just slow down, you know, oh, because yeah. <laughs> she's always in a rush, to, you know, she gets in an apartment and it's like, well, now I want a house, and just all of these stages that she's so rushed on. He's like, just slow down. And I would say that's probably the overarching theme on mm-hmm. this. You know, even if you are ready to get a new home or a new vehicle or whatever, just slow down. And that doesn't mean, you know, wait 10 years on it or whatever. It means take the time to be sure you really understand Mm -hmm. what you're doing in this case before you jump in. It's not, it's not quite the same lesson as the song. You can go ahead and do it, but be sure you're doing it wisely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're not
1: getting married. You're you're just buying something, (laughs) but but it is a big deal, Teresa.
2: And I think the key to that slowing down, what happens is you lose the emotional attachment to Mm -hmm. the thing and you can make a logical decision. When you're in a hurry, you make decisions you might not have made if you'd have just taken a moment to think it through. You're absolutely right.
1: You have to think about the fact that when you're in a, a buying mode and you're in a store, one of the things, Troy, they want you to do is to buy now, yeah. to, to mm-hmm. close, to, to get this deal done because you might change your mind.
4: Yeah. And the two main things we're going to talk about today are houses and cars. And I think when people shop for those two items in particular, especially the car, you know, they're going to tell you it's the end of the month or it's the end of the year. This is the best the deals are going to be. But have you ever realized that it's truck
1: month every month? A <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. yeah, it absolutely is. And so we want you to, help, uh, to have the ability to think through some of these decisions. We want you to have the ability to do the right thing as it pertains to you, your finances, and your budget. So we're opening up the comments today. Uh, If you're watching on Facebook Live, just drop down in the comments and send us a question. If you have a question, feel free to write that question into the comment area and send it to us, and then we will uh, try to get that and answer your question on the air. You may have a particular question about a big ticket item that we're not talking about. Mm -hmm. I don't know that the type of item really necessarily makes that big a difference, but it is more so the thought process behind how you get that done.
3: I'm going to open this up to a different type of comment this week. Maybe not just questions, but I noticed as an example that uh, Corley Overall is out there uh, watching us on Facebook Live, and I know he's got grandkids who are coming into the age where they might mm-hmm. be ready to, to make some of these purchases before too long. What grandfatherly advice, or for somebody else out there listening, what parental advice would you give your kids or grandkids about some of these big purchases? Maybe some things that you wish you had known you know. Beforehand. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: absolutely. And, and obviously, there isn't a whole lot new in this area. It's just maybe new to you or right. maybe something that you haven't thought about. So hopefully today, we will be able to help you navigate the process. And there is a process for a big ticket item. Janet, one of the things that I, I think is really important, especially for our regular listeners, Doing this in retirement seems to be way different to people than doing it not in retirement because they're making money. They're like, okay, I can make that payment or I can pull that lump sum from savings. Everything will be fine. But when you're in retirement mode, you seem to take on a little bit different attitude about
3: it. You do. And even, frankly, just the process of qualifying for a mortgage, (laughs) as an example, because, you know, prior to retirement, you had that check from your employer that was coming in on a regular basis and you could document that in income and then now if you're retired then you know it's a little you can document it it can you know get taken care of but it's a little bit different process than what you would normally go through and so that's that's a different scenario for you but frankly we would like for you to be done with your mortgage by the time that you retire now that can't happen for everybody but we would love for that to be the case and so if you're on the front end of you know getting a mortgage this is really critical for you to understand some of the nuances we're going to talk about today. So that when you get into retirement, you maybe don't have that mortgage payment, or at least you can get rid of it early in your retirement years.
1: Guys, one of the things that I get concerned about when we talk about big ticket items and, and things like this is that there seems to be over the years, just this proliferation of opportunities to take money out of your IRA, your 401k plan your health savings, i mean, you name it, yeah, if yeah. there's a way that they can figure out, oh, well, let's do this to you know, you know, buy some good street cred with the voters, then let's open up the piggy bank. But I think that we would universally say around this table that that's probably not such a great idea.
3: It, it also, frankly, opens it up for the IRS to get more tax money if we're not talking about Roth dollars.
2: It does. And what people don't realize is not only are you losing those dollars right now, I know they say you're loaning money from yourself, but it doesn't really yeah. work that way because that money's not growing. Right. If I set money aside for a purpose, I need to protect it for that purpose because, guys, you need a lot more than you did 20 years ago when you were retiring because we're living longer, which is great. But it also means we have to be mindful to protect our retirement dollars for retirement. You're absolutely right.
3: Troy, let's, let's take a minute. You and I talk about this when we do workshops together quite a bit. Take a minute and talk about the word mortgage. I think most people don't know what that really means. Yeah. So
4: in almost every workshop, which is where we go out um, and go to employers and, and present about money and how money works, me and Janet will write up on the board the word mortgage and we'll break it down into the two different syllables there, Mort Engage. So we always ask the audience, you know, give me some other words with mort. So Janet, a couple, so mortician,
3: mortality, mortal. Those are all really fun words, right? Mortuary, yeah, mortuary. They (laughs) all have to do with the word death. 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 Okay, And, and then gauge. And this is a little bit easier for me as a female to demonstrate than it is for the guys. But before this was a wedding ring, it was called an.
2: engagement
3: ring ring. and so gauge is an agreement mort is death your mort gauge if you will is an agreement unto death they are expecting you to pay on that thing Mm -hmm. until you die and we would like for them to be wrong
4: yeah, so we, we talk about strategies on how you can pay your mortgage off. I was And we've got a tool that we can help with that. Um, if you've got a little bit of extra each month that could possibly go to, towards a mortgage, we can show you how big of a difference that'll make over the long run.
1: And I think that when you start thinking about taking money out of retirement accounts, uh, we don't have time to, to actually do the numbers on this. But if you just think about the rule of 72, and if you use <laughs> 6% return, that means that, that money doubles every 12 years. Well, if you think that, okay. I I've got four doubling periods. If you're a young mm-hmm. person, I've got four doubling periods over the, my lifetime before I hit retirement. That $10,000, mm-hmm. if you do, do the math on it, it goes to $20,000, 40000 so uh, $80,000. $80, mm-hmm. It costs you $80,000 in future right. dollars mm-hmm. by taking that $10,000 out to put down on a mortgage. And
2: there's a lot of other dynamics with when you're young, especially because if you're not planning on staying in that job forever... Well, when you leave that job, yeah. that becomes a distribution to you if you want to move those dollars and you lose the ability to pay it back.
1: Yeah, especially so if you're taking that from a from a 401k <clears throat> plan. If right. you borrowed that money from mm-hmm. a 401k plan, that can be a problem. Well, we're just getting started on the Get Ready for the Future show today. We are talking about big ticket items, how to ma- pay for a big purchase. We're going to go through that. Of course, your comments are welcome on Facebook Live. If you're watching on Facebook Live, just drop down in the comments section and give us a question, and we'll try to answer that here as we continue on the Get Ready for the Future show in just a moment.
0: If you want the answer, ask the question. Email info at getreadyforthefuture.com with your name, location, and question, and we'll answer it on the air. We'll be back in just a moment.
1: This is Scott Inman at Genwell Financial Advisors. We understand that there should be more to retirement than just the size of your nest egg. Whether it's more time for family, a fresh start, or just stopping and enjoying life. Whatever it is for you, we know that your retirement should be more. With offices across central Arkansas, there is a Wealth location nearby. Call 501-653-7355 or visit us online to schedule an appointment and harness the power of more. Securities offered through LPL Financial member FINRA SIPC.
0: Investments and economics move at the speed of light. And we've got the latest information you need to know to stay ahead of the game. From Wealth Financial Advisors, it's the fastest four minutes in investing.
1: Welcome into The Fastest Four on social media and on radio from the Get Ready for the Future show. Janet, here at Wealth. one of our roles is to always be looking ahead. I almost right. feel like I need the binoculars out to, to look ahead at not only threats, but opportunities yeah. that are coming down the pike. And today we want to talk about one that hasn't been around for almost a decade.
3: Yeah, uh, so this is one of the reasons we call it the Get Ready for the Future show is that we are looking ahead, but we, we want to take a moment to look at where we've been in really the past decade. And what we're looking at is LPL Research is talking about some opportunity now. They're warming up to international stocks. And really that has been lagging, John, since the recession in 2008. So this hasn't really presented a lot of opportunity for us in in a decade or so.
1: Yeah, and to be clear, they're not recommending that you move into international stocks and out of U.S. stocks right now, but they are getting warm to the idea. John Lynch and, and Ryan Dietrich and their team is is looking at all of the, the technical indicators of international stocks, and they're saying, okay, things are, are coming around here, and they're raising a much more optimistic tone about international equities.
3: So at this point, when you do a valuation comparison of international stocks to U.S. equities, there's about a 20% valuation gap, which is rather significant, and that is in favor of overseas stocks at this point. So in short, stocks from international companies
1: are changing, cheaper on a relative basis compared to US equities at this point. And part of that is because the US market has run so far up and and those international stocks have lagged so far behind that right. creates that value gap and they're beginning to think that okay that might be something that we really want to look at for our clients in the not too distant future. So number 2 Janet is the stabilizing stabilization that is of global growth. You know, Europe has been a mess for a long time. That is beginning to stabilize a little bit. There are some indicators that the German economy might Mm -hmm. be turning around just a little bit. And so there are things there that they're seeing, especially in Europe and Japan, uh, showing some improvement, pointing toward stable, if not improving, growth in those key areas.
3: And let's talk a little bit about just a change in market leadership. So it really has been all about the U.S. equities over the past decade. And now we're seeing that begin to slow. That's the anticipation for this year from U.S. equities as far as the LPL Research Department is concerned. So that provides an opportunity for other locations globally to step into that leadership position. Again, we're not saying step out of U.S. equities, just that they may not be the leader in growth moving forward for a time
1: period. And the last thing that we'll talk about is the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar has been strong. And when you have a strong U.S. dollar, that's not necessarily good for international equities. But we think that the dollar uh, may be reaching some of its limits. It has been up over 2% since the first of the year against other currencies. And our research partners at LPL are expecting that to change as other countries stabilize their growth. And at the same time, the U.S. has to come to grips with its trade deficit and its budget deficit. So those two things will begin to work against a strong U.S. dollar. And if it's a weaker U.S. dollar, then you could see some relative strength in international equity,
3: absolutely right, John. We're going to talk for just a brief moment about emerging markets. The pace and direction of economic and earnings growth in emerging markets really make that sector for LPL really one of their favorites as far as overseas opportunities are concerned. And emerging markets hasn't gotten a lot of attention in recent years either.
1: And of course, as always, this is research. It's not. It's not fact. And so this these situations could change in a moment's notice. So you want to keep that in mind. The other thing you want to keep in mind. is to focus on the fundamentals. That is the theme for 2020. And that is the fastest four minutes in investing. The Get Ready for the Future show continues in just a moment.
0: Smarter, simpler, and more personal. The Get Ready for the Future show continues after this. You ain't heard nothing yet. Buckle up, because we're back with the Get Ready for the Future show.
1: We are back on the Get Ready for the Future show to tell you a little bit about destination retirement. It is a workshop series that we have put together that really does help you get toward that destination of retirement. We've got three workshops coming up February twentieth at the Saltgrass Steakhouse in Sherwood. Uh, that is at six thirty p.m. Uh, Janet, I believe you're yes. actually at that workshop doing Absolutely. that workshop for the folks in the Sherwood area. First time that we've done a workshop, I believe, at this mm-hmm. location in Sherwood.
3: For First time at that location and first time for this topic, so they get our debut on Destination Retirement. We're very excited about it.
1: Yeah, it it should be fun. And then we follow that up with a an event at the Benton Events Center, February 27th at 6:30 for Destination Retirement. Then we're back at our our home 20, uh, <laughs> the Crown Plaza in West Little Rock on uh, March 5th for Destination Retirement. Let me tell you that there are seven steps in Destination Retirement for you to be sure that you get to that destination. There are things that you need to do to prepare for retirement. So if you're out there and you're thinking about retiring in the next two years, three years, five years, you want to get a head start on this. You want to come and get these seven steps and hear the explanation of these seven steps and all the details around it. And you'll walk away with with great information and feel like you're more prepared to step onto that journey toward retirement. You can go to getreadyforthefuture.com and register under the events tab. Again, that is February 20th in Sherwood, destination retirement at 6.30. February 27th at 6.30 at the Benton Events Center. And then Destination Retirement in Little Rock at the Crown Plaza at 630 on March 5th. Today on the Get Ready for the Future show, we are talking about making a big purchase. How do you do that without blowing up your budget, without blowing up your retirement, uh, making things hard on you from a financial standpoint? You may need a new car, you may need a new house, but how do you make that happen without having a problem down the road? And let's talk for a second about buying a a car. And Mm -hmm. most people would rather go to the dentist than go buy a car. I think it's fun. I, I really do. I'm not the game. shocked
2: that you do. Yeah. I'm not shocked at all that yeah. you do. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know, it's it's always fun to to, to go negotiate. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. I, mm-hmm. I enjoy the negotiation part and usually come out with a pretty good deal. Right. Uh, but for most folks, it's a huge challenge. And Teresa, mm-hmm. I know that, that you've got a story about your first car purchase <laughs> that could be instructive to some of the people that are watching.
2: Yes. I think we tell people all the time to be cautious not to bite off more than you can chew. But for those of you out there that don't know how much you can chew, let me give you a life lesson from my experience. <laughs> when I was in college, I worked a job and I made about four to five hundred dollars a month, which back then when I was living on campus was plenty to take care of my needs. So when I went car shopping and I found this really awesome Honda, um, it was going to be three hundred and fifty five dollars a month for the car payment. And I thought, I make $400 a month. That should be fine. (laughs) Okay, thankfully gas was only a dollar a gallon, but it was still, I ended up having to get another job so that I could afford a car in college. And, you know, a lot of people have these great negotiators in their family. My mom liked to let you learn from experience. So she let me do this on my own because I thought I was a big girl. And I learned my lesson about getting caught up in the moment emotionally again I loved the car and I bit off way more than I could chew in that car.
3: Janet
1: let's just say that Teresa's come a long way since that
3: right? Yes I have I've come a long way. So uh, at school recently our kids had a I forget what they called it exactly but basically a, a financial educational type of fair deal and they had to pick a job they were told what their income would be from that job and then they had to go around to different stations so like there a housing station and mm-hmm. they had to make a housing choice and then there's vehicles and they had to make a vehicle choice and so they go through this whole process well my son comes home and tells me about it and he's like mom i had eleven hundred dollars left over at the end of the month i'm golden <laughs> and i'm like son that's not real life it's that's, one exercise yeah. but okay good job you know i'm glad but he told me i made the the lowest choice on house i made the lowest choice on vehicle all of these things well my daughter who frankly is the more financial disciplined of the two comes home and says, "Mom." I was down $300, like $300 in the negative (laughs) at the end of this thing. And I said, honey, what happened? She said, mama, it was not real life. They told me I had to have a car payment. I do not have to have a car payment. (laughs) She said, I put my hands on my hips and I told them, my mom is a financial advisor. I'm not allowed to have a car payment. I won't have one. They said I still had to. So (laughs) anyway, I I wanted to walk through that. It's kind of funny. You know, she was very frustrated and everything (laughs) about the whole deal. But the point is, there are so many people who really do think... You have to have a car payment. I don't yes. know how many clients I've had tell me over the years, well, you're always going to have a car payment. Baloney. My, my parents never had one. Mm-hmm. I'll also say my dad never had a new vehicle until he was, he was either in his late 50s or early 60s. Mm-hmm. Never once before that did he have a new vehicle. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch that wisdom early enough in life, I, but now we're that way. But that doesn't mean I drive an old jalopy either. Like the vehicle I drive right now, bless his soul, whoever the first owner was, drove it for twenty two hundred miles and then mm-hmm. turned it back in. I'll take that. That's counts, where I am right yeah, now. Mm-hmm. It counts as a as a used vehicle knocks a ton of cost off. I wound up getting it basically for fifty percent of the of what it would have been brand new, and it only had it hadn't even had an oil change yet. Well, you know? spe-
1: speaking of that. The the uh, by the way if we if we have protesters out uh, in front of the <laughs> building today it's probably representatives from all the car dealerships in so We're not Arkansas. saying okay. don't buy
2: a car. No, we're, we're just not saying, saying don't be buy a smart. car. Yeah. Pay
1: cash for the car or something like that. But yes. Troy, uh, I think Janet brings up a great uh, point that the the depreciation on a brand new vehicle is it takes your head off sometimes. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I mean, on a $30,000 car in the first three years, if that's kind of what you pay brand new, then that car is probably going to p- depreciate about $15,000 over the first three years that you that's have crazy. that wow. car. So um, yeah, new car depreciation is is massive. Uh, another example there is if you're the person that buys that car that's three years old, and so you pay $15,000 for it, then it's probably going to, over the next three years, depreciate closer to around five thousand dollars so you're not Mm -hmm. losing nearly as much to depreciation By buying a used car,
1: and I think you got to think about that when you're thinking about a purchase because you can get some really good deals. I yeah. know the car that I'm driving was uh, probably something like twenty thousand dollars less, and it had mm-hmm. five thousand miles on it uh, because I searched out for yeah. that type of vehicle, mm-hmm. and it still had a little bit of a new car smell and things like that. And It was new to me, so yeah, I didn't they have They do any problem make
2: air fresheners for that if that's important to you. <laughs> it's they way make cheaper. Air and they're way less expensive than that new car.
3: You know, when uh, Scott had planned to be on the air with us today and he said, you know, I want to talk about that new car smell. That was like a big deal. He said, (laughs) you know, you can almost make the decision entirely based on I like that smell. I'm going to go ahead Mm -hmm. and do it. You have no idea how much that impacts your decision. So uh, we had our team do some research and what he wanted to know was how much does it cost per sniff. Now, obviously, (laughs) we don't know how many times you inhale during the day, so we can't really do it per sniff, but per day, it's about $13.69 that you're paying for that smell. I would say get the air freshener that smells like you a new car. You could buy a lot of air <laughs> yeah, fresheners yeah, for
1: can. that amount. For $13.69, you can probably get 10 packs of air fresheners, yeah. yes. right? Yeah, and I will absolutely. tell you,
2: you know, for me personally, one of the things that kind of enticed me to buy a newer car or a new car at one point in my life was, well, I was a single mom at the time. Yeah. I needed it to be reliable. I couldn't afford for it to break down. And so I was scared to take on maybe someone else's mistake stakes. But there are tons of resources out there for you that you can research. You can pull the Carfax. You can you know, look those things up to make sure that the car is in good shape before you buy it.
1: So there are some reasons why you might want to buy a new car. Mm-hmm. One of them is the condition. You you know that it's under warranty for a mm-hmm. period of time. You know that you're in pretty good shape as far as the condition is concerned. There are cash rebates at times for for cars and new car loans generally have better interest rates than used car loans do if you're financing that yes. car. But that's really about the the limit of it when it comes comes to the reasons why you would want to buy a new car that are financial. Now there's lots of emotional reasons. Mm-hmm. And that uh, I think is the the parallel that we want to draw here yeah. is that that when you are relying on emotion in anything in mm-hmm. money, in anything in finance, that's when you begin to step over the line.
3: Yeah. So so I would just say just be you. You know, a lot of the reason that people buy vehicles is to keep up with the Joneses. Don't worry about the Joneses. They're broke. They have debt up to their eyeballs and they're not going to be able to retire on time. I don't really want to keep up with them because it's really keeping me behind instead of where I want to be.
1: Yes, absolutely. Comment uh, came in from Facebook Live. Advice to oldest grandson was to buy sensible. There are nice cars and trucks that are pre-owned, very affordable. Just what we're talking about. Exactly. Check the interest rates for the best deals at banks and credit unions. And a lot of people are competing for these car loans these Mm -hmm. days. Troy, I know that the dealership has, obviously, they want you to finance there because they get a little kick from that. But if you are out in the competitive landscape of all the banks and credit unions, you can find some good deals. Yeah, and you can check what your
4: interest rate would be, you know, checking with several different banks or credit unions before you even go to the dealership to buy the car. So. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And I, I want to go back to what this uh, what Corley is saying here on his comment. He he goes on to talk about what you talked about a little bit, Teresa, which is reliability and affordability are the most important things to look for until you're financially stable. But then I love his last comment because, Corley, it sounds like we're related on this. Uh, he says, I drove my last truck for 13 years before buying new last year, and, and I I get that we've driven our last couple of vehicles for a decade plus just because and it, that's our deal is if it ain't broke don't fix it and mm-hmm. sure enough if it ain't broke don't
1: replace it And I think the other thing that you've got to think about is that if you're buying a used car, you can probably get a a higher class of car than you could if you're buying new. Because you're going to spend that money on the depreciation. So if you save that money, now you may be able to afford a much better car Mm -hmm. as, as time goes on. So what's wrong with leasing let's t- hit that real quick uh, let's talk about car leases because that is uh, seems to be a, a big black hole troy yeah so one of
4: the biggest dangers that you have when leasing a car is you're only allotted a certain amount of miles and if mm-hmm. you turn that car in mm-hmm. with more miles than you were allotted then you owe them something like 50 cents per mile you know that you went over so that can add up really fast as. I could
2: probably buy another car with what I would have been over on oh, an allotment yeah. with a lease. And yeah. you do have a lot to, that you have to put down up front for those, too, just like you would with if you were to buy a car. So is it really saving you much?
1: Well, let's think about it. Do you want to, every day or every week, think okay, I need to go the shortest route possible so right? I can't. I, Gee, I can't can run. I drive my own car lost, to go you, do this thing yeah. or, you know, family so, trips? So leases, uh, you know, I think that we can probably universal say, universally say they're probably not a good idea for most people. We call it
3: fleecing Fleacing. instead of leasing. Oh, yeah, that's, you're that's, getting fleeced if you're leasing. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so we're going to take a break in just a moment, but uh, we want to encourage you that if you're watching on Facebook Live, send us a question or a comment on uh, just drop down. Down in the comment section on Facebook Live and send us a question or a comment. Also, remember those workshops, Destination Retirement, coming up a little bit later this month in Sherwood and also in Benton and in West Little Rock. Go to GetReadyForTheFuture.com to register for Destination Retirement. We're talking about how to deal with big ticket items on the Get Ready for the Future show. Up next, we're going to talk about housing and how you can get the best deal as far as buying a house is concerned. We're back in just a moment.
0: Your retirement should be more. More what? More than just investments, more about you. Find out more when the Get Ready for the Future show returns.
2: Oh, 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 oh,
0: oh, oh, oh. From the Gen Wealth Radio Network studios, we're back with more of the Get Ready for the Future show.
1: We want to thank you for joining us on the Get Ready for the Future show. If you're watching on Facebook Live or on YouTube, thank you so much for joining us. If you're listening on radio, we appreciate you as well for joining us on the Get Ready for the Future show. Of course, today we're talking about the right way to make a big purchase. And when it comes to housing, we wanted to bring in an expert. And so Carolyn Cobb with the Arkansas Realtors Association, she is the president, also a a realtor with Colwell Banker, RPM Real Estate in in Little Rock. Welcome, Carolyn, to the Get Ready. Future show.
5: Thank you very much.
1: We're glad glad to be here. We're glad for you to be here. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the whole issue of of buying a house. Uh, Some people have the notion that uh, they can negotiate a better deal on their own, as opposed to working with a real estate agent. And I found that that when I don't know how to do something, the one thing I want to do is I want to call in an expert. So talk about the the I guess the notion that you might be able to do better on your own.
5: Well, and that's a very good um, issue. You have a um, statistics show that realtors helping you can save you or make you about 60000 on average more than if you're trying to sell your home yourself. I mean, they have the expertise. They have to adhere to a, a code of ethics that is very strict, being a member of the National Association of Realtors and being a realtor. Um, There are certain things with contracts, with uh, inspections, with lenders that we have the information on that will help you during the process, whether you're buying or selling a home. So very much so. I, I, I mean, I would never even before I was a realtor, consider doing that large a purchase without having an expert help me.
1: There's a lot of paperwork involved there and a lot mm-hmm. of things that you can kind of step on if right. you're not if you're not careful, Janet. Carolyn, this may have been what you
3: just referenced with the
1: National Association of
3: Realtors, but in, in our industry, we have FINRA, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. So people can go and do what's called a broker check on an advisor and get information about them and everything, kind of check out their background. So what is your industry equivalent and what would it do for somebody who's maybe looking to to uh, use somebody in your industry as buyer or seller?
5: That's a good question. We, um, we do have to adhere to a very strict code of ethics with the Arkansas Realtors Association. And then AREC is our governing body. And uh, they certainly have our rules and regulations that we have to follow, and if you do not follow those and a a consumer has a problem with a realtor, then that's who they're going to call and say, this realtor is not representing me correctly or caused this to happen Mm -hmm. or caused this to not happen. So they have that opportunity to go through that process with the Arkansas Real Estate Commission, and there are, I think, uh, seven commissioners Mm -hmm. that if something happens, then they have the opportunity to go through Mm
2: -hmm. perfect okay i know there are you know when you're wanting to find a financial advisor we talk to people about interviewing them and asking questions what would you say would be the best questions for a savvy buyer or someone who's wanting to sell when they're interviewing their realtor what would be the important questions to ask
5: well just like anything else i would suggest that they do their homework Mm -hmm. get online you can always find us on um, any public venue we have Mm -hmm. facebook pages we have uh Our company has pages and a website. So I would certainly start there. And then if you find an agent that or has been recommended to you, uh, of course, is always better. But uh, you're going to ask them how many years have you been in the business? What type of homes do you sell? What area do you sell in? Uh, Where's your expertise? What do you know about the schools, the parks, Mm -hmm. the communities? Mm -hmm. So those are the questions I would want to know in hiring a realtor.
1: We're talking about buying a home as a big ticket item. Big ticket items are the topic of the day on the Get Ready for the Future show. And Carolyn, I, I, I think about uh, you know when you think about a group of people, we like to say that you know all financial advisors are not the same because you have people that have certain expertise in certain areas. You have stock brokers that know all about trading stocks and things of that nature, and then you have folks like us who are planners that that really don't pay a lot of attention to trading, but we do pay a lot of attention to planning and, and looking ahead and things of that nature. I'm assuming that realtors are much the same way. You have different folks that specialize in different things.
5: That's exactly right. We have uh, military um, agents that specialize in military or mm-hmm. you know veterans loans or um, veterans homes uh, because that's a little bit different than just a conventional uh loan and and type of process that you go through. But yes, I mean, we have eight offices with COA Bank or RPM Group across central Arkansas. And so you need to know, the realtors need to know the area that they're working in and all the particulars, whether it's uh, what zoning problems there are or issues. Can it be zoned commercial? Can it be zoned uh, residential, those types of things, and yes, it's very specific to an area quite often.
3: We often talk about or think about, you know, a seller getting an agent, but let's talk about a buyer and a buyer's agent. What does that relationship look like? Is there a contract that has to be signed? How does that work?
5: There is an agreement that is signed with the buyer agency, and it is uh, it just says that I, as a as a realtor, am working for you in this transaction, whether it be buying or. Selling Selling. So for a buyer... Uh, You want to have a realtor that's going to represent your interest in every way. They're going to do their research to be sure that the home is insurable, that Mm -hmm. there haven't been so many claims on it that you can't have it insured, whether or not it's in a flood zone, Uh, what school districts, you know, because it's very tricky with schools, especially, and we're very cautious of that because uh, you can be across the street from each other and be in different (laughs) school zones. And quite often that's why somebody buys a property is Mm -hmm. for a particular school, So all of those things, and and it just doesn't involve um, signing an agreement, and and it allows us to negotiate on your behalf. And it just takes that emotion out of it, because it it is a business Mm -hmm. deal. and.
2: I know for a lot of people, especially for me, my home purchase was the largest purchase I Mm -hmm. made in my life at the time that I did it and then I've recently done that again. But I will be honest, looking through that contract, there's a lot of stuff that I don't understand it. So what would you say, you know, for a buyer who's looking at these contracts, what would be the best way for them to know what to look for and what specific things should they be looking for?
5: Well, and again, that's having an agent that you trust that's Mm -hmm. going to represent you because there are timelines that have to be met that if they're not met, that can cause an issue in the transaction. Uh, and those are very specific as, as far as getting a loan, as far as having your inspection done, what to understand in an inspection, how to read through it, because quite often they're lengthy and you want to be sure you're going to ask for the things to be repaired or replaced that that will help you in the long run. Roof, roofs are very big right now. Mm-hmm. You know, how old is that roof? Does it have any problems? What am I going to look for in the future in replacing it? So all of those things play play a part in your transaction. And I
2: think my agent was really helpful for me in that he helped us understand what was realistic to ask for. I think mm-hmm. sometimes you don't know that you can ask for certain things. You know, we saw signs that there might have been a little bit of water damage starting somewhere. And the inspection said, oh, you need gutters. Well, he told us to ask for them in the agreement and the seller agreed to it. So that's another thing I think that having that person on your side as a buyer helps with.
3: I I would agree with that going way back eons ago to I was just barely out of college and buying my first home. Like at that point, frankly, you don't even know Wait, we split closing costs like mm-hmm. I'm the buyer. I didn't I didn't know that that was an option. And so I think it's very important, especially first time through, but really at any point, mm-hmm. to have somebody working for you on your behalf as the buyer.
1: Our guest today on the Get Ready for the Future show is we talk about uh, – buying a home and, and big big purchases and things of that nature is Carolyn Cobb. She is the president of the Arkansas Realtors Association, and she's talking with us about the right things to, and the wrong things to do as far as home purchases are concerned. So, Carolyn, let me give you an opportunity just to freelance just a little bit here. Uh, let's say that, that I'm a buyer. I'm as green as a gourd. I walk into <laughs> your office and go, I want to buy a house what are you going to say to me? How, what do I need to know? And what are the things I need to be prepared for?
5: Well, one of the things I would ask you is what's your time frame? How quickly do you have to move? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you been pre-approved with a lender? And if you haven't, then I'm going to give you two or three names that, that I know work very well with first-time home buyers. You're green. You need to know the process. You need to know what that loan amount is going to be and what your payment's going to be with the taxes and insurance. So I'm to guide you through that and then again you can start looking at a you want 5 acres and horses and then you wind up in a condo that's a, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or a patio home and that's believe me that's happened to me oh, yeah. uh, I've shown 50 houses but um most often, they will narrow down the search that will help you get in the area that you want in the home that you want. So I'm going to ask you a lot of questions, and we're going to spend some time together going over the contracts to be sure that you understand the specifics of this contract and know what you're signing.
1: I think it's important to point out here that this relationship between the, the home buyer and their real estate agent needs to be a relationship of trust there has to be the thought process is that you're my advocate you're you're the person that I'm putting my trust into and i need to work with you and it doesn't need to be an adversarial relationship or i'm paying you money to do or anything of that nature right
5: you're exactly right it is a relationship and it's a friendship quite often we I'm still friends with people i sold houses to 10 years ago mm-hmm. and i've sold them two or three houses i think the average length of time uh, is about four years that people stay in their homes, and they're either going to move up or move down, whatever the situation may be. So it's important that you keep in touch with that person and, and make that relationship long term.
3: What are, what are some of the ways that you've seen it fall through financially?
5: Well, where it doesn't, where the home doesn't appraise for the contract price. And and quite often that can have many different situations to it, whether it, and and the type of loan that it could be. Mm -hmm. Conventional loans usually are a little easier to get through, but most people, you know, if you've been in the service, you're going to have a VA loan. So Mm -hmm. there's just differences in appraisals and and how they're done. That's the main one. And then also a surprise if if you can't afford the payment and and the insurance comes in higher than you expected. So those are all the, the things that we talk through and work through in the negotiation process.
1: Carolyn, we thank you so much for coming in, uh, joining us here on the Get Ready for the Future shows. We help people to prepare for the future. If you're uh, looking at, at a, a home, hopefully you've got some information. And Carolyn, I'm sure they can reach out to you if they have some questions.
5: Absolutely.
1: How do they do that?
5: Well, my phone number is 501 258 6909 or uh, ccobb at cbrpm.com. All right. I'll great. Help them. Awesome. Thank you so much much for being with us on
1: the Get Ready for the Future show. We're going to continue talking about these big ticket items, the things that could wreck your budget, wreck your retirement if you're not careful. We're hoping to impart some wisdom to you to basically navigate all of that as you work toward that in your future. We're back in just a moment.
0: Are you following us on social media? Search for Wealth on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at FA. so you don't miss out on behind-the-scenes photos, money tips, and informational videos. The Get Ready for the Future show will be back after this. Meet the Gen Wealth team in person at our Gen Wealth Academy workshops happening in your area. For more information, visit get slash events. Now, back to the show.
1: And you'll want to make your way over to GetReadyForTheFuture.com forward slash events to check out the new offerings that we have for workshops coming up in uh, February and over in the 1st of March. It is called Destination Retirement. We're going to be in Sherwood, also in Benton at the Benton Events Center and at the Crown Plaza in West Little Rock. Going over to GetReadyForTheFuture.com forward slash events. Register for the workshops and uh, check us out on a brand new Destination Retirement Workshop. Guys, when we think about uh, the interview that we just did with Carolyn from the Arkansas Realtors Association number one I think it's really cool that we've got uh, this on Facebook mm-hmm. and also on podcasts that you can go back and catch it if you didn't catch uh, any of that information and you're thinking about buying a home that's great information that that has to be uh, in the forefront of your mind in doing so but secondly it struck me that you know when you think about the role of a realtor it's very much the same role as a role Of a a financial advisor,
3: yeah, their their role really is to come alongside you and be your advocate. There are things that they know about buying a home that, because that's not your industry, you're simply not going to have a way to know that ahead of time. And so that's one of the reasons that we brought Carolyn in is to talk with you about, you know, one of these. It it is really, as Teresa said earlier, the biggest purchase you're ever going to make is a home. You may do it multiple times in your lifetime, but it's very important we believe to have somebody come along beside you as an advocate in that relationship and help you through those decisions so that you're getting into a home wisely and not stretching too far, all the other issues Mm -hmm. that can come up from that.
1: I think something that, uh, and I don't know that these are the three C's that all the bankers think about, but (laughs) this is is our advice to you as far as being prepared to buy a home is concerned. The three C's in our mind are having cash, Mm -hmm. having good credit, and having the capacity or the ability to pay, mm-hmm. that's something that escapes a lot of folks. They say, hey, I want to buy this big house. I want to do this big thing. But they don't have the income to support what that mortgage is going to put on them. I think about Teresa's car payment. You know, <laughs> There was no ability to pay check on that. They just said, okay, your credit's good. Mm-hmm. You can pay it. Here you go. Exactly. But, but Troy, it's a much more uh, in-depth uh, look at your finances when you are thinking about buying a home. Yeah, you mentioned they may not have the income. The other thing you want
4: to look at is the cash. Like you said, uh, I know when I got out of college, I um, almost immediately started looking for a house. Uh, My parents really encouraged me to pump the brakes on that a little bit. And they explained to me, because I had no idea at the time about... PMI, private mortgage insurance, and we'll talk about that. But basically, they said, hey, you really need to save up until you can put 20% down. So that's what I decided to do. I just continued to live with them for a couple of years. And I'm so glad that I did that because what that resulted in was a very manageable house payment. Yeah, absolutely. So
1: let's talk about this PMI thing because it, it's kind of like Sean when he uh, first got a job here at Wells, remember that? As a teenager, As yes. a teenager, he, he got his first paycheck and he came down the hall and he goes, who the heck is FICA and what do they do with my money? <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of uh-huh. people want to know yeah. who the heck is PMI and what are they doing with my money? And it is really a big chunk and that you just can't get rid of it.
3: Let me ask you, John, if, if you and I didn't know each other... Hmm? Would you pay an insurance premium for me that you were never going to get the benefit out of it? I would get the benefit if something happened. Would you do that?
1: Ah, uh, probably not.
3: That's PMI. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're, Basically, we're, they take a risk
2: it. to give you the loan. Yeah. So there's an insurance policy you're paying for that if you can't pay back the loan they get paid. That's right. That's basically what it is. And,
3: and, and I understand, I'm not even saying that it's wrong that they mm-hmm. do that because frankly, if you can't put 20% down, then they are taking a little bit of a risk. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've stretched out too far to get too big of a house. The risk is on them in that scenario. But if you can come to the table with a 20% down payment, that goes back to, you know, just slow things down a little bit and step into life one, you know, one step at a time mm-hmm. instead of trying to get ahead of yourself. If you can do that, then and you don't have to pay PMI. And so, if you're asking, all right, how much is too much to pay on PMI? A penny. A penny is too much to pay because none of that is ever, ever, ever going to benefit you.
2: And if you're already paying it, it does drop off when you have enough equity in the house. But it takes a long time for you to get there. So you could save yourself some money long term if you can just go ahead and save that up. Yeah. Uh, And she did mention something in her interview that I want to kind of back up to because it almost bit me the first time I bought a house. She used the word pre-approved. So there's this thing called pre-qualification. I have great credit. I've always had a great credit score. But when I bought my first house, I almost lost my earnest money because I had pre-qualification. And then the mortgage lender I kind of saddled up with wasn't too focused and and was Hmm. not moving fast enough. And I was within three days of losing my earnest money. And thankfully, someone in my church happened to be a mortgage lender, too. And asked me, you know, kind of what was going on because I asked for prayer. We were in panic mode (laughs) and um, they said, you know what, come see me on Monday. And they had a loan for me that day. But make sure you're pre-approved, not pre-qualified because it's not the same thing. Let's
3: Good go back enough. to that PMI for just a minute, because Teresa, you talked about, you know, if you're if you're already making the mortgage payment mm-hmm. and you've been paying PMI, that that can drop off. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, it's not going to drop off automatically. Correct. You actually need to pay attention to where you are in terms of what you still owe compared to the value of the home. Mm-hmm. And here's another thought. If, if the home has increased in value, if you believe that it's increased in value enough so that you now actually have 20% equity even if you didn't pay 20% down the original Mm -hmm. amount, you can get an appraisal. And if you're indeed at that 20% marker, then you can contact the mortgage company, show all the documentation, and they will drop off that PMI at that point. That, for many people, will save them a few hundred dollars a month that you can then turn around and put in your overall financial plan. The only risk you're running in doing that is the cost of the appraisal.
1: Mm -hmm. I fought like crazy to be sure that when I was building my home, that home would appraise Mm -hmm. for more than 20% uh, about, I, I'm sorry. That uh, you'd
3: have 20% yeah, equity that, at that's the time. Yeah. That I would
1: have 20% equity when all was done because PMI mm-hmm. is based on the amount of your mortgage and it is it is outrageous the the amount of money that we were looking at paying mm-hmm. on, on PMI. I want to talk a little bit about uh, loan types and, and t- loan terms because the standard in the industry is a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody uh, goes to is a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Most people don't understand that if you did a 15-year mortgage as opposed to a 30-year mortgage, it pays off way faster and you're not necessarily doubling your payment. Troy, let's go ahead and
3: talk about some of those numbers that we've got on a 30 compared to uh, even a 20. And let me talk about that while he's getting ready on the numbers on this. Um, A lot of people don't realize that you don't have to do a 30 or a 15-year mortgage, that you can actually, they'll look at you funny if they've never dealt with you before, if they've never dealt with a wealth client before, you can go in and say, I want to do a 22-year mortgage. And they'll look at you really funny. And then they plug it in the system and go, oh, we actually can do that. Nobody knows the story behind why we do 15s and why we do 30s, but any period of time will work. So work through that and see where you can get. But Troy's going to give us some examples here.
4: So if we're looking at a $200,000 home and we're going to use a 30-year mortgage first. So We're going to use our interest rate at 3.73%. That's what we've done the research on and seen that's the average for a 30-year mortgage right now. So our payment would be $923, and that does not include taxes or insurance. That's just the payment on the house. And so our total interest paid on that 30-year mortgage is $132,626. Yikes! Right. So tack that on, tack that on to the two hundred thousand that you owe in principal. That gives you a total uh, total paid over the thirty years three hundred and thirty two thousand six hundred and twenty six dollars. That's a that's a large number. It's a lot larger than the house cost you. <laughs> yeah, I'm
3: just going to say the interest paid on that is enough to
4: outright buy the mm-hmm. last house I lived in. Right. And before we jump into the other examples here, let me let me say this real fast. If you do have a thirty year mortgage, you've already made that uh, choice, you don't have to go refinance to a shorter term. Right. You can simply add extra to your payment each month and how I referenced this in our first segment, but we've got a tool where if you say, Okay, I can put an extra, you know, four hundred dollars a month towards my house, we can plug that in starting where you're at and mm-hmm. it'll show you, you know, the amount of time that it will decrease your overall payment there. And it it can make a big
3: difference. Yeah, it absolutely can. So you're not necessarily locked in on that 30-year time period. Right.
1: And you can save tons and tons of money by by just thinking through that. And guys, one of the things that I'm very excited about is our ability to help people with this. All you have to do is give us a call here at GenWealth at 501-653-7355, and we will be glad to talk with you about whatever situation you may have going on as far as your future is concerned. Everybody heard the bell. Everybody knows what that is, or at least we we all should know what that is. It's time to wrap up because we want to share some closing thoughts on the big-ticket items that we've talked about so far on the Get Ready for the Future show.
3: Let me just talk about the length of time a little bit more on the mortgages. So we, we had time to go through a 30-year example. We didn't really have time to do the comparison on a 20 or a 15-year. But it does not double to go from a 30-year to a 15. Here's my point. Play with the numbers and see what you can make work without stretching yourself too far because you don't want to be in that situation. But you don't want to be in a mortgage for 30 years because you don't want to have that in retirement.
1: Here is the principle I think everyone needs to carry away from this. If you're paying interest on something, you're enriching someone else's yep. financial future as opposed to yours. This is important stuff. When you start talking about uh, numbers with commas in them, and especially if there's three numbers on the other side of the comma, uh, <laughs> then you, adds up. It does. It makes a huge impact on your financial future. We talk to people all the time about Social Security and making the right choice on Social Security. And How many $200,000 mistakes can you make in choosing your Social Security claiming strategy before you screw up your retirement? Think about it the same way. If you're making a major purchase and you don't make the right choice, how does that impact your overall picture as far as retirement is concerned? Knowledge is power. And as a financial advisor, we want to make inform, help you make informed decisions about the decisions that you're needing to make as far as your finances are concerned. Hey, we love having you listen in on the Get Ready for the Future show each and every week. If you've got questions, give us a call 501-653-7355. We'd love to visit with you about that or find a Gen Wealth office near you. There's uh, offices across Central and South Arkansas, also North Louisiana. That's it for the Get Ready for the Future show for this weekend. For the entire team, thanks for joining us.
0: The Gen Wealth Financial Team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 501-653-7355. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment and no strategy can assure success. GenWealth Financial Advisors is an Arkansas-registered investment advisor with securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. The Get Ready for the Future show is a production of GenWealth Financial Advisors, and opinions expressed are not those of this radio station and are for general information only.